Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. This is the things we say, where we discover new things about ourselves every single week. (laughs) (laughs) It is so true. I'm discovering that I am a planner. Yes. Why? I don't know. I don't want to be a planner. (laughs) And yet, every week we roll into this podcast, and I need to have a plan to feel comfortable. I I think it's funny, because rarely do we actually have a plan. Normally, at best, we have a topic. Yeah. But every once in a while, you'll get no, this. No, but I have a plan. Oh, you have a plan. Yeah. We don't have a when plan, but a apparently topic, you have a plan. When there's a topic, I will have thought through that a couple different times I throughout see. the day and rolled it around in my head where it's like, I'll probably start here. I'd like to go here. No, that seems dumb. <laughs> Let me back that up. Where is there something I could fill in here? And I, I have it playing in my head. I literally don't think about the topic from the time you tell me what it is till we sit down here to start doing it. <laughs> Not not at all, unless Kayla asks me what we're going to do on the podcast. See, and But then I, she always tells me we need to have a plan. Yeah, but I, I think that I'm spontaneous, but I don't know that I am. I'm, I think it's because I'm more strategic. I'm like, I want, well, to, fair. I want to make sure this is a win. Yeah, that, totally. That it, there's a point to what we do. Well, and I just, I just have too much general indifference in my personality <laughs> that like, I don't even care what the final product is because this is us just doing what we do, and I'm good with that. I know. Which is not always good. You know, that, that can actually lead to a lot of complacency or apathy in various things. Which, so that can be that, that's my, that my problem at times. Well, you probably have more fun with it. I do. <laughs> I have a lot of fun. I've never not had fun oh, with neither. this podcast ever. But again, that's and that's one of the things. Most people would listen to us on this and think that we're identical. <laughs> and it's just not true. I mean, we have a lot of similar opinions, but the way we get there and the way we think it should look yeah. and the process is often but sometimes completely different. You have put way more thought into something than I would ever put into it. That is true. I am For instance, some of your some of your opinions that we've discussed on some of these episodes. Yeah. I'm like, wow, Nate's really like considered this. He's well read in this. He's sat down, he's thought it out. And I've never I've just blown by it. Just <laughs> been like, yep, that's well, me. I'm, and that's, I'm here. That's why I always talk about the dudes in my brain because I literally hold conference with or hold congress with the four people that are in my head to discuss my own ideas and my opinions and how I'm forming them, and if they're accurate, and if I should have different opinions, it's kind of ridiculous. But it's it's a real thing. So hearing me refer to the dudes in my brain, that is what I'm talking about. And then other people that I know have this personality where after they say something, they go back and they replay everything, and they're like, did I come off right? Did I not? And I'm like, for me, that doesn't happen very much at all. Yeah. It's all beforehand. Yeah. Almost every time on my way to a place... I will visualize like the door opening, talking to this person. What does the room look like? What it, what is it like? You know, and what am I saying? What am I doing? Yeah. Like, what? Where am I gonna go? How's this gonna go? 
Like, I don't know why it just plays through ahead of time. And I'll, I'll go through like four or five different openings almost before I get to a door. I mean, I think that way tactically when I go to a place, like where are the exits? Is my back facing oh, no, the no, door? No, no. I do Nothing those. Like that. I do that. I do that, but what? I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I don't. But that just I don't comes that. from having a gun in your I've, pocket. That's also true. That's also true. It's kind of a, it's kind of a responsibility. <laughs> as soon as that I put a gun have. in my pocket, then I'm like, hey, where are my exits? Where's the bad guys? Where's the good guys? Like, I need to make sure everybody's cool. It's true. It, it does. Anybody it does change, shady around here? It does and or should change your mentality if yeah. you do carry a gun. Which However, is why I don't carry a gun. <laughs> I will say one of the things that's funny, though, is that. What you're describing about playing a conversation back in your head, I have literally never done that in my life, but I did have one relationship where that uh, was constant after every conversation that was ever had. Um, it's like, oh my gosh, did I say constant. what I thought I said? Yeah, or why didn't I say this? Or why didn't I say that? Or why did I feel good about this conversation? Because we didn't end up anywhere like we needed to end up. It just was the same thing. And it was a very frustrating time in my life. But it is what it is. That was, yeah. that was the only time that that's ever been a thing. And I'm just realizing now that's probably why I get somewhat stressed going into times where I'm going to be up front. Hmm. Like at work, I have different times where I know I'm going to be leading a group or I know I'm going to be up front. And the reason that comes off as stress in my brain yeah. is because I've, I know it's coming at this time and I've already played everything through. Right as much as I can. And now it's just waiting for this to happen. It's like doomsday coming yeah, at you. It, it's like, this is going to happen. I'm going to be up there. I'm going <laughs> to do the thing. And I've already played it out and it all ends up fine, but it just needs to happen soon. And so for me, that like comes off as stress. Well, and it's funny because I think we've talked about that thing that I do every once in a while where my brain stops actually doing anything while I'm in the middle of talking but your mouth is still going. And I'll keep saying things, and I know I'm looking <laughs> at the eyes in the room. And that, I think, comes from my my apathetic, uh, non-caring about preparation. I mean, again, I write papers, I write sermons, I've done those things. I structure them, but I, I lean often on the random knowledge that I have, and sometimes that fails me, and my brain just totally <laughs> makes that noise, and I'm stuck with nothing and everybody looking at me trying to figure out what's happening. And I think that's my problem for preparing for things where I'm going to be up front is yeah. that I've already played it through my head so much that people say, get in front of a mirror and rehearse it. No, that freaks me out because it gives me a picture <laughs> that I'm not going to use. Yeah, no, that's like, totally true. I need to visualize myself behind the podium working with the clicker that I have yeah. and my computer. I don't really care what it looks like from your perspective. Yeah. I need to know that I'm okay in this spot with what I'm about to say and what I'm about to do. And as long yeah. as I'm comfortable with how that comes out, I'm going to be just fine. But it was funny because uh, your dad had me up front in church one time to do a thing for like the, the like almsgiving box. Oh or yeah. Whatever yeah. It was. The, it, the outlinks, the box. outlinks box. Mm. Yes. And, and, uh, and so I was up there presenting that. It was like one of the first times I've been on, up on the stage on a Sunday morning. Right. And I didn't have a visual picture in my mind to play it through. Totally. Like, so I was going no into context. this thing cold. And once I'm up there, I'm like, okay, I get it now. But like if I was going to get up to speak again, now I would now have you're some there. footage to relate the, totally, to it. Totally, and I'm I like, get that. Okay, I can't see anyone. The lights are really bright. <laughs> I'm just going to have to trust that everybody's yeah. okay on it's the just, other side. After the first like five rows, it's just 
a sea of people. Right. It's, it's not really individuals, which is odd. But I think that's why, yeah, people with my personality, when they first get up there on a brand new time, like in a brand new environment, yeah. that can be tricky. Yeah. Because I didn't have any footage for what's going to happen here, and I haven't been able to play it through ahead of time. No, that's fair. But. That makes sense. I mean, again, I don't do that, but that, that totally makes sense to me. I can totally see that. Well, you guys are getting to know us really well. <laughs> Well, there you go. Um, I told Sheldon, I said, because we were talking beforehand about what we were going to talk about, topic, different things. And I told him, I have tea all over my right leg from spilling it just before Sheldon got here. I may have broken my toe during worship today. Or at least stubbed it pretty good. Really, I mean, it's, it ain't fun. Whatever it is, it's already, it turned black and blue within Ooh. like a really quick amount of time. Yeah, it's not, it's not the worst thing. But anyway, and I have a newborn in my house. So I told him, my capacity to plan at this point or even really be active mentally, I don't know how great it is. So who but knows what you're really going to get from me. To be here. We do. I am. I was legitimately looking forward to this all week. I was sad. We had our baby girl last Thursday, and I fully intended to do a Sunday night podcast the Sunday after that Thursday. And Sheldon, who is actually smarter than me in this particular case, because he was traveling, was like, oh, I think I need a night at home. And by the time Sunday night came, I was like, man, it's really smart that I was not doing this because that's like when everything kind of became real and hit me. Um, so good call to Sheldon uh, for <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, being <laughs> gone for a week, I needed time. Yes, so. but I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. We have some new gear, and that feels awesome. Although it is odd because we have boom mics that are now mounted to our table, which means we have a ton of table space. And now I don't know what to do with my hands because I realized I fiddled with the mic stand a lot and touched the mic stand. <laughs> and I've had to fight the urge to reach across the table and hold Sheldon's hands just out of weird habit for something to do with Can my hands. This little case. No, I'm, I'm good because then I'll That's drop it. That's usually what I play with. Then I'll drop it. But yeah. yeah. I sit here and click and unclick. Sheldon didn't know thing. that I was going to share that. But there it is. I had a weird urge to I can hold, hold Sheldon's hands. hands. If that helps you get no, through this. No, it won't help me. <laughs> Did you know? Give it up. That the word gossip has an interesting origin. Sponsors for infants in the rite of baptism were at one time held to, uh, held to contract a spiritual kinship with the infant in whose name they took the vows. We still observe that kinship by the terms we use for sponsors, such as godparents, parents and God, godfather, godmother. Such godparents were thus held to be spiritually related to other members of the family. So not just the child. So historically, they were members of the family, not just with the child. Okay. Hence, a family containing several children, there would be a number of men and women who, though not related to each other by blood, could came, claim kinship with each other through their ties with the family. So, so several the family is the and hub, godfathers. and so if I'm the godmother, or if I'm the godfather of child number one, and you're the godfather of child number four, right. we would then also self-identify as related as well kinship. because of that connection. Right. Okay. Such folks were said to be god-sib in olden times. Huh. That is, related in God. Sib means related. That gave the privilege of talking with each other about the family to which you were mutually akin and about its various members, probably about 
such of their own number as might be absent. That's a weird way of saying it. But huh. basically, you're talking about the... You're, it gave you the right to talk, talk about, about the, the family, family with each other. Without the actual family you were being God present. Sib, yeah. And then, undoubtedly, they exercise a privilege to such extent, in fact, that God Sib became a term for anyone who entertained others with rumors, idle talk, and tattletales. Wow. Thus, God Sib became gossip. gossip. Wow. That is particularly horrifying since gossip is such a horrible problem in the church. <laughs> but interesting, nonetheless. But it came from all the people that were related to your family yeah. that felt they were okay talking about your family because they were God-sib. Yeah. As long as you were God-sib, then what we're saying about this family is okay. Right. Because, hey, there it's may all come in the a day family. where we're all going to be related. So Wow. That's... And when... Mortality rates were such that your life expectancy wasn't much past the age of 40. Yeah. Uh, eventually, there's probably going to be a bunch of kids that are going to other homes. Or Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's one of those traditions that I find is so interesting in that I find that it is, it's often, obviously, Catholics, it's still a big deal for. That's still, still right. a thing. And some of the more liturgical uh, churches. But it seems to be more of a thing in in the CEO clans of the church, the Christmas and Easter only clans. Okay. So they go to church on Christmas, they go to church on Easter, and they have their children baptized or christened or whatever, and that's the extent of their thing. But they have an actual godparent for that child, and it's taken seriously and treated as a relation. And I'm like, yeah. it's just a funny thing to me. Like, And you would and even, know who your godparents yeah. were. Like in our tradition... Well, in the my first, my parents never told us who who the we first, would go to if we. The if first they time died. I ever heard about that was on "I Love Lucy," because when when Ricky and Lucy had little Ricky, Fred and Ethel became his godparents. Yeah, and I was like, "Well, what are godparents?" Because little kid, I had no idea what that was, and so, but even then, I mean, they they were nightclubbers, and at the time, in an interracial marriage, which would have been very controversial. They were not churchgoers in the in the in the show at all, you know. But the godparents thing was a big deal, and it's just funny to me how it's like more secular society has taken that as more of a serious thing, as more of a consistent thing for whatever yeah, I reason. I didn't know what godfather godmothers were until you get to the story of Cinderella, and there was a fairy godmother, right. and I'm like, what's a godmother? Right, right. Like my parents would have never, they never told us who all of us kids would have went to if they died. Right, right. Did you know? Did you know your godparents? Uh, I feel like it would have been my grandparents for the longest time. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't, I we don't remember. We haven't told our kids. Yeah. I don't remember who. I know, I, yeah, I don't remember. Like who. who's written in the will. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously several tiers of that. Like in, in lieu of someone else's passing, then go to so-and-so. We have, we have yeah. a couple of tiers. I didn't build in that many tears. How many of us are going to die at one time? No, I just, yeah, it's only, I think it's only like, <laughs> I think there's a second and a third and that's it. And for our kids, that would have to happen sometime in the next like six to right. nine years. Right. Because by the time they're 18, then they're yeah. good. Yeah. You have a bunch of life insurance money, make your life happy. That's right. What a weird turn that conversation <laughs> took. <laughs> Oh, Speaking man. of first things, no, uh, one of the things that we want to talk about was getting started right, and I, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. I think, I think once once you have kids, you don't think about it until 
you have kids and you're like, oh, uh, yeah, we might have to sit down and go through a will. and Yeah, all, all the things. Them. Yeah. Yeah, because I think, yeah, because I'll never forget when we were doing our initial will, sitting in the office, or it was actually a conference room with the attorney, with Strong there. I mean, he was like maybe a year old. Yeah. And we're just sitting there and here's Strong, you know, rolling all over the place and doing whatever. We literally just put him on the floor and let him do whatever he was going to do. And here we're talking about the things that are going to be completely consequential to his life. And yeah, we never really had done that before. I mean, we did the life insurance thing and all that, you know, trying to make sure each other were taken care of, the house was taken care of, all that. But it was a strange thing sitting there with a fairly fresh child and, and having this discussion with an attorney with him sitting right there. It was interesting. Yeah. It was very Ooh. interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, it makes me think about that. You know, as a kid, you always think about the adult things that you're going to do, whether it's having a job or even thinking about things like that. Like, because there are weird kids that think about things like life insurance or opening a bank account or, you know, what would that be like? And it's so funny because you think of them as like these milestone things as if they're going to be these epic, like, oh, and now I have arrived. I am a grown person. And they're not. You just kind of, like, fade into them gradually. Yeah. And it's very, very strange. Although my mom made a big deal about the checking account. Yeah. Like, when I had a bank account. When you got one, yeah. Like, I had to go get the deposit slip and fill it out. Oh, yeah. And what that was. And yeah. then, like, writing my first check. Oh, yes. Like going through all of that and then balancing your checkbook. Yep. And I was like, I hate all of this. Yeah, my it, parents ran me through the, that whole the deal, The first too. seeds of my hatred for banks were planted <laughs> right there. I hate everything about it. I'm like, I only have like $80. Can't I just keep <laughs> that here at home? Take the $80 with me in the wall? Nope. You have to learn about a checking account. Oh, man. Why? <laughs> can't the people that are paying me pay me in green money and I take that green money and I go buy stuff with it <laughs> to this day I want to do stuff with cash simply to avoid banks that's fair when me and Jess got married that was the one thing I told her I'm like if you want to deal with banks be my guest but my plan if you don't do anything about this is to cash every single check <laughs> and take it home <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing you have a checking account uh, yeah, well, we have a bunch of things that I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> if oh she dies, that's still the plan. For gonna, you to not understand? I'm going to go there. I'm going to cash everything out. Somebody at work claimed that I, I look a lot like a drug dealer without <laughs> Jess. <laughs> I have stacks of cash, and I do everything in cash. I probably buy more guns than are necessary. True, because why not? Yeah. So I have a lot of cash. I have a lot of guns. And she's opposed to me growing marijuana as a cash crop. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I said, if it was ever legal, I don't know if that would be a thing or not. And she's like, how do you not know? And then, like, basically was like, no, that's never happening. And I'm like, well, I don't know. And it was, it was a funny conversation that we had. Oh, but when you put all three of those together, it, it looks a lot like it's drug a strong dealing. possibility. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So oh look what goodness. the Lord has saved me from by Probably, giving me a good yeah. helpmate. Yes, that is the truth. I'm on the good track night. to being a pastor and not a drug dealer, <laughs> saving me from myself. Oh my goodness! Helping me interact with banks. Man, we are being very revealing tonight. This is interesting. Yeah, I'm, sorry about this, everybody. No, I'm I'm entertained. This is what happens when I don't have a plan? I'm very entertained. 
It's, and, and I think when we're talking about starting things, what's so funny is I started a job coming out of high school and I was like, oh, I'll do this for a while till I figure out what I want to do. And 14 years later, I'm still there. Yeah. It's like, oh, I just never quit, I guess. Yeah. I just kept moving around doing something different within the company. And I worked my way from like, I was the guy who used to weed whack the ditch and mow the yard. And yeah. Then like helping shipping. And then after a while, I'm like working on airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not an easy transition at some companies, but at my company was. Yeah. And then move into sales. And it's like, okay, this was a natural progression, but I never had a college education that told me you have to do this. You have to do that. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of kids struggle with that, where if you don't have a college education, or even if you do, and your degree doesn't line up with what you think right. you would like to do, like how to work all that out and who do I want to be when I grow up? And yeah. what does that look like? And well, what do you do? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been kind of mystified by people who, who have no hobbies and they just work. And I don't mean like people that like they love what they do so much that they have no hobbies. Like they're, oh. it's their passion. But it's like, no, I work and I go home. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. Like what I look at those people and like, what joy do you have in your life? If, like if working that's, a nine to five and getting all your joy in the other hours of the day, but not even doing that. Like I don't have hobbies. I don't do anything. I, I, maybe I have a family, but like there, there just doesn't seem to be that sense that they have a thing that they are passionate about in life, a thing oh. that like makes them want to get up in the morning other right. than again, the, the noble things of I'm caring for my family. I'm being responsible. I'm doing like, just that being their singular drive, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm saying I don't understand it. That mystifies me. Because, again, for you, would you say necessarily that your job that you have is, like, a thing that you are super passionate about? Even the job though I currently have, yes. 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 But the job you had, I'm sorry, is what I meant. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily my passion, right. no. I was doing it to support my family. Right. But you had other things right. that were outlets for the things you were passionate about. The oh, things yeah. You were, yeah. And I've known people who don't have that. Like, I've yeah. asked them, like, what do you do? Oh, I work. Okay, where do you work? Uh, you know, and they'll say some factory job or a shipping or, you know, something. And it's not that there's... Something that they don't care about. Yeah, they don't care about. They don't even care about enough to make it sound interesting when they describe it to you. Right. And then you're like, okay, but what else do you do? Oh, you know, I, I have a family. I have a wife and kids. That's, that's all you got. And, and there's, and there's no, there's just no there there. And it mystifies me. I, I, I don't know how to me that, that seems to be an existence rather than a life. And that makes me sad. But again, if somebody's happy in that, great, that's not a problem, but it is, it's strange to me. It's very foreign. Yeah. It's a very foreign concept to me. It is one of the things that makes America great though, that <laughs> you can find something that is both work and passion. Yeah. Or if you have a work that you don't that much enjoy, you can have all kinds of other right. things that you do. It's not like you're working the entire day trying to just survive. Survive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And get through. Even though <laughs> they say if you make only minimum wage oh, man. <laughs> and you work your entire life. There needs to be a caveat on that. If you work only a minimum wage job and you want an iPhone and you want a big screen TV and you want to own your own house, and you want, there needs to be all the things that you want to make that a problem. Because just getting whatever minimum wage is right now, I don't know, 
as long as you don't have all these extra expenditures, is actually not a problem. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah, you can't raise a family on it, but you're not supposed to. That's not the idea. Yeah. We're talking about starting things and like first, first things. And I think that first job being minimum wage is not bad. First of all, you're not going to keep it long. Yeah. Usually. And if you do keep it for a long time, you're going to work your way up in pay scale and not stay at minimum wage yeah. all the time. Yeah. Second of all, minimum wage jobs are usually part-time jobs. Yes. And it's not meant to be your full-time job. You may work another full-time job and pick up this part-time job on the side, and you're not going to make as much of that as you will at a full-time job. Right. And it's usually teenagers and people that have something else going on. So say I'm in college and I want to pick up a couple hours here, right. but I'm not well, I got willing. X amount of time. Yeah, I'm not making it my life's work right now. I just need to make sure that I graduate with a little less debt than all <laughs> this debt, you know? A little less. Right. And, and I'm talking, like, I have family members who have worked at minimum wage jobs all the way through school and have graduated with no debt. You yeah. can do it. It takes a lot of work, but you can do it. Yeah. Still, you can yeah. still do it. Uh, even though people may not like the options for still doing it, it's it's still a real right. possibility. I think most most student loans are not just for tuition. Right. If you only get if you only do tuition, and that's all you take your loans for, and you work a part time job, you can often graduate with no debt whatsoever. Yeah. Most of your student loans that people rack up are for extracurriculars and things not tied directly to books and tuition. Yes, or residual things from yeah. being at college. Right, right, yes. Not just your, but if you were strictly books and tuition and that's all you were paying for right. out of your student loans, they won't be nearly as high as some of the numbers that people yeah. talk about. No, it's true. True, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> That's a whole nother yeah, conversation. But when you're starting out, just think about that. Well, and it's interesting because in thinking about starting new things and there is in, in American culture in particular, there is a, a high premium placed on starting new things. I mean, think about it from, from getting to different levels in school. So, you know, when you're, right. when you're, in third grade, you think about how great it's going to be in sixth grade. But by the time you're in sixth grade, all you want to do is get into junior high. And by get the time you're in high school. junior high, all you want to do is get into high school. By the time you're in high school, all you want to do is get out and go to college. Uh, you know, you know, getting your getting turning 16 and, and getting your license, turning 18 and being considered an adult, turning 21 and being able to drink, I guess. You know, there, there are these things that we set up as milestones and they all happen early. Like it's like getting that first job, getting married, having kids. Okay, you're done. You've done all the things, and, and your and life is now so pointless. there's so much pressure on each one of those. Like, I don't know. I, I think that the pressure, the pressure to get married after a certain age just ramps up so high. Yeah. And it's like people feel all this pressure. And then you do get married, and then after, and everybody's cool for a little while, and then the pressure really ramps up for you to have, have kids. Have a kid, and yeah. And people are talking about it, blah, 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 and it's like, why do, why do we put so much emphasis on the new things? That doesn't always bring happiness to well, everyone. And I think it actually creates a sense of, I think this is why you get these midlife crisis things, why you get these moments of insanity when somebody's hitting their mid-40s and they're like, man, I, I, 
I'm bored with life and I want to do this and I want to do that. And they go out and they have affairs or they buy cars that they can't afford or they go on a vacation that they can't Checking afford. Checking off they... all the lists that everybody gave to me did not bring me the happiness that I thought. No. Now what do I do? Right. Exactly. I'm staring at 30 years ahead of me and right. not sure what to do, what with, to do with yourself. Yeah. And so I think there, there's this transition of anticipating new things and starting something new with the idea that it's getting you towards the goal of being independent, on your own, happy, successful, whatever. But then that transitions into this weird, I need to find something new to start. I need to find something new and fresh to be a part of. And so you get this restlessness. And it's not just in marriages. It's not, I mean, you see it in people's jobs. You see it in pe the way that people commit to churches. You see it in the way that um, even people commit to hobbies. I mean, when was the last time you, you knew of somebody that had a lifelong hobby? Like one that just kind of stayed with them, even if there were other ones that they picked up or set down along the way. Right. But there was just like this one main thing. It's hard to find, and especially well, in our unless generation. Unless you count hunting. Right. Well, right. Right. But even <laughs> then, you're, a lifelong but even thing then you're killing something new every single time. It's kind <laughs> of a, it's, it's, it's an it's, it's individual rush. No, people do have hobbies that last a lifetime. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I think they're, I think they're becoming more and more sparing as the generations kind of, kind of move on. Um, because let's be honest, I mean, the new thing is always exciting. Like, yeah. it always is. I mean, I, I can't think of a single time where even if I was terrified of a new thing, it was also anticipation. It was also excitement. And that can be a really potent drug for people, that anticipation of something new. So with, with something new coming into your house, like a new baby, yes. it disrupts what you currently had, though. It, yeah. It takes away what the stability that you may have had. So like a new house and all of that. Yeah. Like I was just thinking when we moved to a new house, it was like, okay, we got rid of the old house and all of its problems. Yeah. But I knew where all of those problems were and how to navigate life in that house. Right. And it was a good house. There was nothing crazy wrong with it, but I knew like how to do our life in that space. Totally. And it's like, yay, new house. So when you move in, it's like, Oh man, there's a whole lot of things that I did not yeah. understand how this works and how our new life yeah. fits into all of this. Yeah. You know? It's like I don't know you. Like you're basically looking at the house saying, I don't know you. I don't and know that, what this that is. That was the thing too, when we had our oldest daughter and our life was good, and then we find out that we're pregnant and we're like, Man, I wonder what this new baby's personality is gonna yeah. be like. Like how do they fit into what we have going? Because what we have is really good. Like how how what are we missing that they're going to bring? What yeah. is it, you know, and, and, and you never know. Or what are we going to have to fight for now that there's another person involved? Right. Like it, it does. It brings all kinds of, but, but there is, there's that excitement of, you know, what's this person going to be like? Are they going to look like me? Are they going to look like you? Are they not going to look like either of us? Um, you know, or it, one of my worst fears, are they going to be super ugly? And <laughs> I'm going to have to be like, no, darling, you're super cute. No, you have, you have good looking kids. You do. You have good looking I kids. I actually so you're good. like just breezed right by that. That was one of the fears <laughs> that I'm like, one of these is come going to come out like, woo. <laughs> so be like, oh boy, this oh, was man. the one. <laughs> but it, it is, it's, 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 it's a, it's a strange thing because we all crave it to some degree. We, 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 we draw significance from something being new and fresh and exciting in our lives. But at the same time, I don't know that healthy people constantly seek a new thing. Yeah. I think there's something innately unhealthy about that. And until 
I mean, I even know people who it's like they're they're great great business people, but they have to always start something new. So they'll they'll do something new, and they'll do that for a couple of years. It'll be really really successful. They'll sell it and they'll start something else new, and it's just because they can't stay with something long enough. And some people that's relationally, some people that's marriages, some people that's even families. <laughs> they'll yeah. they'll create a new one, you know, because they didn't like their old one or whatever. Um, so I think there's a definite unhealthy aspect to it, um, to chasing newness, to chasing something new, to chase starting something. Um, because there is risk. There is a chance of fail- failure. There is the rush of not knowing what's going to happen. Because the reality of it is, I mean, if you're looking at it in a relational sense, you know, being married, I have often said it, and I will say it again, the best part about being married is not being single. I love not being right. single. I love having a person to come home to at the end of the day that is not a parent <laughs> and being able to tell them about my life, to be able to... I remember hearing one person describe marriage as a contract to witness someone else's life and basically saying to them, your life will not go unnoticed because I will be there to witness it. And yes. I feel like that's such a great descriptor of what marriage should be at its peak. And so... I love it. I love not being single. But there is that thing in the back of your head where you know that person. There is not a whole lot of room. Even we just had our, our eighth anniversary. There's not a ton of room for new discovery about each other. We know yeah. each other really, really well. A huge new bombshell would not be a good thing. No, it would not be a good <laughs> thing at this stage. And that's great. And there's comfort in that familiarity. And there's there's security in that familiarity, but there is an element of when you commit to something or somebody, whether that's a job or whether it's, you are basically saying, I'm willing to give up the rush of the new for the stability of the known. Right. And that's tough. That's, that's the biggest thing. And I think that's the biggest thing, especially in marriage that people don't realize they're doing. You know, because we're so obsessed with the rom-coms. We're so obsessed with the thing where it's like, oh, the movie's almost over and they're together now and they're engaged now or they just got married and it's their wedding day. And then the screen fades to black and you never see the reality of. And then, you know, the next movie you see is about, you know, how horrible marriage is and how horrible midlife is. And, you know, they're just in yeah. a horrible funk I think I saw whatever. something on the Internet just recently. Are Jim and Pam still married? <laughs> Do you think Jim and Pam are still married? I think Jim and Pam are still married. Because somebody was bringing up the idea that Philly Jim may have been like a foreshadowing. Mm. No, I like how I think I have a I have a whole theory about that. My problem is is with Pam, and not Jim. In that, if you haven't seen The Office all the way through, first of all, where have you been all these years? But anyway, spoiler alert to no one because it's been out long enough. It doesn't matter. But Jim is legitimately pursues Pam and all this stuff gets Pam and just encourages her to go after her dreams, do all of these different things. And he's like, I am just going to be here for as long as it takes for you to accomplish what you want. Full out, full on. That's where he is. He hits a point in life where he actually finds something he's passionate about besides just Pam. He starts to pursue that. And like 30 seconds in, she's freaking out about it and is mad about it and doesn't want to do what he wants to do. And I'm like, Pam, you need to deal here because this dude has done a lot for you and he's not asking for a lot. Now, Jim made some mistakes. I will give him that. But Pam had some problems that she needed to deal with. And I think she did. And I think Jim and Pam are fine. <laughs> you think so. And I'm positive that uh, that Dwight and Angela are perfectly fine. Yeah. They're probably torturing 
someone in their basement, but they're fine <laughs> for them. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Just got into the deep weeds in the office right there. We know that Kelly and Ryan are not. <laughs> and yet are. Maybe. Or are not. Or maybe they are. Who knows? I don't, I don't know. That's like a barrel of cats. That's just gross. Everything about that is gross. Ugh. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, so the new, the new versus the comfortable. The new versus the familiar. I'm sorry. Comfortable is, it seems too, too negative. Um, you know, if you would have asked me, gosh, what have I been on staff now? 12, 13, 14 years at our church. If you would have asked me all those years ago if I was going to still be here at this age and stage, I would not have thought so. Right. You know, I started out here. I, I interned completely unpaid. And then I came in very, very part-time as something of a barely paid intern. <laughs> and then the next thing you know ended up actually being hired in and full-time. And now I've been here for all these years. And I've had other opportunities. I've had people that have called and be like, hey, we're this church in Texas or we're this church in Florida. We would really like you to consider coming. And in those situations, the allure of the new never was even remotely enough to make me want to do that. I considered it. I prayed about it. Right. Because, you know, I want to be open to what the Lord has for me, but I'm, I've very much all my life been kind of a homebody. I like the familiar. I enjoy the new, but I don't chase it. And so I like what I'm doing and I like being where I am. And if I spend the rest of my life doing this, I'm going to be fine with that. I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. I think commitment to certain things is important, uh, such as, like, obviously marriage, yeah. your, your commitment to faith, uh, those types of things are super important to stick with it for the long haul. Yeah. Um, I even have that same feeling for me personally about my home church. Like, I signed up to be a part of this, yeah. and I'm going to see where it ends. Like, I'm going to see this through to the end. I know that for not, not for everybody that's the yeah. thing, but... For sure, like your marriage and and your commitment to Christ, those are the those are big ones. Yeah. You know. But I do think that it's okay to not be married to your job. Totally. To not see that as a lifelong commitment type thing where you feel bad if you leave in like two or three years for something else. Agreed. New. Or if you decide to sell your business. That's not a bad thing. No. You may just be an entrepreneur and you're great at starting things. Totally. That's awesome. I, you know, my wife is a great starter. She has probably started two or three or four things that could have been solid business plans. And then the one that she didn't think was going to be the most solid business plan is one that's lasted the longest. Yeah. She's not a great employee because she just does not like to stay at a company for a long, long time and be doing the same thing over and over. Right. It's not a character flaw. Right. It's just who she is, you know, and, but yet to the things that, demand a long commitment, she's willing to give that. Right. Like, well, and that's what I consider commitment. But I I think that, I think that sometimes in, in some areas it's okay to keep things new and fresh and keep going. Right. You know what I mean? But there are foundational things that are worth building your life on. Well, and that's the interesting thing for me is because it's my job and, and, you know, commitment to Christ, commitment to the church are entangled. You know, I've had the same job. I've worked for a church all my life. That is what I have done. I've had n- literally no job outside of that except for summer jobs doing like mulching and landscaping right. with somebody. Never done anything else. And so 
for me, what I do is completely tangled up with core things of who I am as a person. Um, my job doesn't inform my identity, but I have grown into my job out of the identity that I have as, as a follower of Christ and as a member of a particular body. Um, so honestly, I would probably be a lot like Jess if I had a typical nine to five job. I think I would be at a place for a while and be like, you know what? This just isn't doing it for me. I like the people. I like what I'm doing, but I need to, I need to do something else. I gotta, I gotta stay occupied. I know some people that are like that and it's like two to two to four years. I'm either up or I'm out. Yeah. I either move up and take on new responsibility or take on a new position here or I'm out. I'm going to a new place. I'm going to find a new thing. And I'm like, whoa, that seems fast. Yeah. That seems like, I don't know that I could set that goal for myself. That, that would freak me out. Right. Because I'm like, I would have to be, I don't know. It would seem like for me, the amount of personal ambition and, and that it would take, I would fear that I'm risking stepping on somebody just to get up. Yeah. Or else then I'm going to bail and I'm going to leave the team. And for me, like, interconnected personal relationships are too big that I feel like, right. okay, I've, I've built this team. Say, say I work with a team. I've built those relationships. Things are going well. I'm two years in and it's like, well, there's no new position, but I really like this. Let's keep right. this rolling a little longer Right. I, to set a role for myself that it's like two to four years and I'm up or I'm out. Right. Ooh, like that would freak me out, but I'm just not an entrepreneur. Honestly, I'm the guy that likes a nine to five. So that, or, or an eight to five or whatever it is, like if I clock in in the morning, I'm willing to give it my all. I'm going to clock out at five and all of that goes out the back of my brain <laughs> and I go do something else that I care about. You yeah. know? But for me, it's good to have that structure and to have that schedule yeah. or I would just, you know, on do nothing days, I have no problem doing nothing. Yeah. You know, it's good for me to have that structure and say, you know, for this amount of your day, you're going to be productive doing something with the team, doing something that where someone else is relying on. you. Yeah. Somebody else is relying on you. We're going to work together and then you can go home and forget about all of this. Yeah. But that's, that's where some people in their personality with being entrepreneurs, they don't unplug because yeah. they can't unplug because yeah. they've started something and it's their baby and it's new until it's not anymore. And, and you know, they're, they're just growing it a hundred percent of the time. That's yeah. it's always in their mind. They're always thinking about it. And then once it's up and running and it's kind of runs itself, then it's like, okay, now what I'm do not I do? necessary. I need anymore. some, I yeah. need to do something else. Yeah. 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 And, and I didn't mean there to imply that that's, there that, are, that's there a are character past, flaw. There are pastors anyway. like that. Totally. That totally. are good at starting something new and getting it up and rolling and, right. and really adding that fire. And then as soon as it's up and it's steady and it's going, they're just like, well, I'm going to move on. Okay. I'm gonna try again somewhere else. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, I think that's one of the things for me that, uh, like I said, I'm not trying to imply that there's, that that's a character flaw, that that's something wrong. I think it can become unhealthy. I don't think it's always unhealthy. Right. Um, and so, you know, don't want to, don't want to imply that it's always unhealthy or that I have a problem with it, but it's, it's something for me that I, I don't understand because again, I'm, I'm the thing that would keep me, when you say you don't understand it, it's not that you don't understand it in a bad way. It's just that it's not in my DNA. That's not some, that's not the way your brain. Well, and so much of what I do is, is relational. I love, because I did the whole thing where I was in bands where I would tour and you're playing for a new crowd every night and you never know what that crowd's going to be. you got to figure out the crowd. you got to find what makes them tick and makes them engage with you. And that's great. 
but I love the familiarity of like these people actually know me. Like this is not just me getting on stage and singing a song or hopping around and breaking my toe. You know, it's it's actually them knowing me and I'm going to come off this stage and I'm going to have to be accountable to these people and I'm going to have to be in relationship with these people and and there's something to me that's so much more there's always a, a thing that happens between a person on stage and an audience, whether that audience is a congregation or a audience at a show. Like there's a connection that happens. But when that connection is more than a proverbial one night stand of here I am going to do this thing. Yeah, that's what a concert is. There's yeah. something so much more significant yeah. and weighty about it. And I love that. And so for me, I think even if I wasn't in ministry, while I think I could get bored in a job or just feel like I'm not accomplishing something and so I want to move on, if there was significant relational connection there, that would sustain me enough, regardless of how menial the job may or may not be. If I really had good connections with the people I worked with, had, I mean, not like it has to be one of these Michael Scott situ situations where I'm trying to like Have make, to be best friends yeah, make my everyone. best friends with everyone in the office, but where there's legitimate relationship and connection. I would have no problem. That would sustain me. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things that sustain me sometimes through even working at our church because there have been some times that are better, sometimes that are worse. And I remember hitting a point where all of my friends, all the people I'd grown up with who were here had all scattered. You know, you know, Stephanie Frizzell had gone out to California. My friend Bailey had, had moved to Columbus. Uh, you know, uh, Andy had moved. I don't even know where Andy moved to initially because he's, I don't <laughs> even know what country he's living in right now, to be honest. But I, I had all these people that were close to me that were friends that they were just scattering out and going and doing all these things. And so I hit this point of like, am I missing something because I'm still here? Like, am, am I doing yeah. something wrong because I'm still here? And, and it kind of did this, sent me to like this probably like three to six months of panic because I'm like, am I, am I just here because it's what I know, it's what's familiar? And I, very, I worked through that and really understood why I was here and that I was meant to be here. But it was, it was, it was a strange moment of kind of like coming face to face with myself and like, is this enough to sustain me? Mm -hmm. Is this enough for, of a reason for me to be here? And uh, in that, relational connection is what kept me steady yeah. and didn't just make me do something knee-jerk reaction and just run off and do something. When I start something new, I often will sit back and try and evaluate what's currently going on. So, mm -hmm. like, when I started a new school, one of the things that I did, like, going from a private elementary school to a public school, sit back and just, like, see who all the major players are, how oh, yeah. this thing works. Like, like prison. What's the discipline <laughs> structure? Yeah, exactly. Who's like, the top dog? Yeah, who's the top dog? Who do I have to pay off? How does it work <laughs> when we get to free time in the yard? It's very much, very yeah, very much like a prison structure. And oh, man. Like, and, and I remember, like, sitting there and just taking random digs that people would, would give and never giving any feedback or yeah. anything like that. And the first time that one of the guys was standing there picking on me and I started firing back just like hit for hit. And because <laughs> I had suddenly figured out not everybody in this class is on his team. Yeah. And so he's like giving it to me and because I'm like, whatever. And I just started every insult he had. I had a comeback and <laughs> everybody in the class was in stitches by the time I was done. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, all right, I think I can do this. And that was one of <laughs> That was just one of those things <laughs> that I was like, all right, we've, cr we've, we've now Crossed kind of it. established how this is going to go. Yeah. And, 
the same thing happens with a new job. Like I started a new job in the last three years or so. Mm -hmm. And just coming into a new environment, I've been in a place that was super familiar, knew all the people, knew where I could go, knew what was expected. And I'm going into a new place and kind of like jumping into this podcast before I get in it. Like I have no visual of where I wanted to go yeah. with it. And I'm like, I just, I don't know who these people are, or what's expected. What is their office environment like? And, and so I'm like, reading through the handbook and I'm thinking how much of this stuff is real yeah. and do they actually and how care much about it's just and how on much paper. of this is handbook, yeah. you know? And like, I'm, I'm like, it says in here that I have to wear leather shoes of some kind. And I'm thinking, doggone, all I have is <laughs> skater shoes. <laughs> They're all canvas topped. And I'm like, I'm messaging people that currently work there. I'm like, ah, uh, is this How big real? of a deal is this? <laughs> Do I have to buy shoes? <laughs> How big of a deal was that? Huh? How big of a deal was that? Apparently a big one at the time and not a big one right now. <laughs> is it your fault that it's not a big one right now? Uh, not mine. No. <laughs> I think it's just when you go from when you go from a company of like 100 people to like 150, there's a growth thing that happens there a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then like there's some tension in sorting things out from going from a small company to a little bit larger company. And now yeah. some of these people are not family and we do or do not like how they're doing things. <laughs> and then like, and that's not bad. That's just totally. the nature of growth. Yeah. And now in like two and a half years later, we've grown from 150 people to 310 or 317 or somewhere right. in there. And it's like certain things that were maybe Acceptable. smaller. Yeah and didn't matter as much, no longer matter because it's almost like you can't, there, there's only a certain number of things that you can super care about. Totally. So. Totally get that. Yeah. That would, that's the best way I have of explaining the weirdness. <laughs> of, but, but like the whole thing is once you jump into something new and you're sitting there looking at how things work Yes, the newness is good because there's new opportunities, there's new things to do, I have new responsibilities, and I get to be part of a new team. But that unfamiliarity stage for me is like excruciating. Yeah. Because I don't know who I can trust, and I don't know who's around me that I can relate to. Right. And, and if I form a friendship with this person now, is that going to be something that down the road I'm going to be like, I wish they had not known so much about me. <laughs> or... You know, it's like, I wish I would have befriended this person and not this person you yeah. know, later on. And with my team now, it's like, well, none of that mattered. Yeah. Like, we were all good, you know, and, and it's great, great to go to work every day and that type of thing. But I've been in environments where it's like, well, for instance, in high school, I there was somebody who was super needy and she became my friend because, like, she needed a friend and I was not, like, connected to anybody. So it was like he's my friend. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> then people were like, are you guys going out? I'm like, no, she just really thinks I'm her friend. <laughs> and, and I did not want that experience again, but you know, going into a new place, there's a lot of unfamiliar and I often just sit back and evaluate how things are going before I start making a ton of changes or yeah. I don't know, make a lot of big statements about who I am and, and what role I'm going to play in this because I need to feel what's currently going on before I make well, my own mark. And I, I realize, I mean? as you're saying that, I realize that I analyze 
what's new based on how it's going to affect my relationships. There you go. So I look at it as like even even having a third baby, like we we've always known we wanted more than two kids. Like that was never a question. Kayla wanted five. I wanted wanted three. So we'll probably have four. Because um, even now having three, it just doesn't feel like you're done. Like there's just this sense of like, no, we're we're just definitely not done here. Um, but Which I think about it in terms of something amazing right after you had yeah, the baby. No, Usually it's, that's it's when you're like, we're done, we're done, we're yeah, done. No, and I don't have that <laughs> feeling at all. Yeah. And I think Kayla would agree. That's cool. Um, but there is that oddness of when you finally make that decision, okay, we're going to have another kid. And you're sitting here thinking, okay, but how's that going to affect my relationship with my son? How's that going to affect my relationship with my daughter? Because we're literally introducing a new person that's going to take up a chunk of their time real estate, so to speak. Like there's, there's going to be less time for them because there's going to be this third person that needs time and needs a lot of it initially. And of course, you know, our kids now, our two older kids are more independent than they've ever been. And they're going to continue to become more independent. So they're not, it's not like they're feeling the pain of having a new baby. I mean, my daughter is essentially completely indifferent to this child's existence. I think we got her to hold her for 30 seconds once and strong loves her, thinks she's great, wants to hold her all the time, whatever. But for the most part, he's also just off playing with his, with his right. other sister as well. Um, so there is that, that, that is almost how I approach anything and everything is how is this new relationship, this new situation going to affect the current relationships that I have? Um, and that's what I sit around and think about and, and try, and, which is crazy because you can't do that until you've added yeah. the situation or <laughs> the person in. So to me, that's, that's my version of what you're talking about with the planning and, and, and seeing it and trying to figure it all out. You can't do it, but for some reason it makes me feel better <laughs> to have some slight anxiety about it <laughs> and try to pretend like I have any control over what that's going to be like. Yeah. Um, but I, I've realized that in talking up through the, through this right now that it is it's I analyze everything I do almost through the lens of how it's going to affect my relationships, which I never really thought of until now. Which so. explains why you wouldn't abandon all of your relationships to go to a new place, right? Just to start something right. new, right? Yeah, because that because you're like, is it worth all of that? Yeah, yeah, that would, and that's one of those things I've often said. You know, if I if I have to move far away eventually to be in ministry in a particular place. Like the Lord is going to have to be very, very clear that I have a brick to do that. with your name on it. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, you know, He doesn't have to be as clear as He would have to be if He wanted me to do Days of Elijah in a worship service. Because that one, I've already said, if I ever am going to do Days of Elijah in a church service, Jesus will have to come in physical form. I will have to have a doubting Thomas moment with Him, and then He will tell me that I have to do that song. Then I will do it. And we've Touch already had that hands. discussion. Yes, yes. Pull gonna, out this sheet music yes. on which is written the days yes. of Elijah. And, and that's the only way I will ever do that song because I just despise it so, so much. But I used to really like that song. I can't remember why. Nobody knows why they like it. Nobody knows why they like it. People get excited when they sing it. And if I sat down and said to them, what is this song about? Nobody knows. How's the chorus go? Behold, he comes riding on yeah, the clouds. Riding on the clouds, yeah. Uh, something at the trumpet's call. Trump Lift your call. voice. It's the year of jubilee. Out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. I mean, it's scripture. Yeah. But it ain't a good song. <laughs> and nobody knows why they like it. But they always get excited it's about exciting. it. It's exciting. For some reason. 
I don't know. I know nobody does, and and that that kind of apathetic acceptance just bothers the crap out of me. It's just not, <laughs> Is that not okay. the only thing that bothers you about the song. You don't like the tempo or the melody or. There's nothing about the song I like. I don't like that it's a song. Okay. I have no problem with the fact that it's basically just scripture put to music. It's just not good. The most exciting part that everybody thinks is so great is that there's no God like Jehovah. And it's barely a melody. It's just basically like a chant. It's just so bad. It's so Everything about that song is terrible. There's nothing redeeming about that song to me. Behold, he comes. That's the big part. Yeah. These Behold are the days of Elijah. Yeah. Dry bones and, 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 and you know... Yeah, Was it Elijah in the Valley of Dry Bones? That no, doesn't sound no, right but either. There's, there's, but it goes on days of Ezekiel. Like it, uh, it goes into a bunch of different you know, yeah. days of your servant David. It's just not good. It's not a good song. It's just really not. And it. Ugh. Yeah. Why are these the days of Elijah? Yeah. Weren't the days when Elijah was alive the days of Elijah? I know. I know. That's hilarious. It's, it's just not it's not a great song, and nobody knows why they like it. They just know they're supposed to like it, and they're supposed to get excited when that happens, and so they do. But it was more of a thing back in, like, 2002, 2004. Totally, totally. But so you don't still, have much you don't there have are much still some of those about. churches where they'll pull out Days of Elijah, and you go, oh. As we, as we established last week, there is a certain amount of us that loves that nostalgia. It's true. But there is no nostalgia in that song at all for me. None. And never has been. I've never, never liked it. There is a certain song that when we play it, I get up and go to the bathroom every time. Which one is that? Remind me. <laughs> it's the, uh, you lift me up, turn me around. Oh, yeah. my feet. Yeah. On so good to ground. me. Yeah. So good to me. Yeah. I can't do it. <laughs> it touches a place in my soul that's not good. <laughs> It drains your life. It's <laughs> like, just like, ah, oh, I can't do this. I See, can't I physically love, be in the I room. And I love that song. It's fun to play. It's bouncy. It's no, good. It's fine. I like that. That's song. wonderful. But you yeah. should play it as much as you feel it. As don't, much as don't I, let me taint it. As much as I want in you fact, out of the room. I won't taint anybody's opinion of it. You'll just I leave. just won't be there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I have after I've said that publicly, or or somebody who's known <laughs> about it, and I know they're in the room. I won't leave just because I know that they're, you know they're judging I kind of get you. the eye from them. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> I'm going to play. I'm going to take this one for the team. I'm oh, going to remind man. in the room. But I think that's interesting because that whole thing of newness and familiarity is something that's very present in worship music yes. and the whole worship wars thing. And I've often said it that some people will only want the new song. That's right. all they want. Right. Or only want the old song. Or only want the old song. And that's one of my favorite. I remember, you know, reading in a book, uh, Following the River by Bob Sorge or Sorge. It looks like it should be Sorge, but I think it's Sorge, which is sad for him. But he talked about how the new song in a worship setting moves us forward, but the old song anchors us into what is solid and what is good. And I'm like, that's a really good descriptor. Like, there's this tension of being anchored and being pulled right. forward. That's a positive thing. That's something you need to do and how they're both necessary. And this was not just him saying, and we need to have blended worship, but he was talking about in terms of what's familiar to a congregation. You know, there's, there's certain, there's certain tried and true songs that you're going to pull out and you're going to sing 
you know, like if, if I pull out Holy, 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 the old hymn at some point, everybody's going to get on board with that and come run into it because everybody knows it. Everybody's got a, some kind of memory connected with that song that's a positive, and they can all run to that or How Great Thou Art or Great Is thou fa- Thy Faithfulness. Like there's certain hymns that because they've been around for a long time, they've had a, we've had the time yeah. to get out the crappy ones and let them go away <laughs> um, as opposed to now where crappy worship songs are still being written, and so we're still trying them out to try to see what's going on. Or if you're Chris Tomlin and you just have nothing else to write, you go back and grab any crappy hymn at all and just yeah. add your own chorus Add your own it. chorus. Yes, it's very true. That has become Chris, Chris Tomlin's bread and butter. There's no hymn that he's left unsullied. Very few. And if there is, he's, he's got gonna another find album. It. That's right. He's going to find it. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting to me because, I, and I've talked about it before, that I hit this point where I realized people who were so adamant about, oh, we need to do hymns, we need to do hymns. They weren't talking about a particular style. They were talking about what they remembered about being good about that particular song. So they remember when they got saved to a particular song. They remember when right. uh, you know they, they had this particular spiritual experience when this particular song was being played. And that's more, for the most part, I would say 80% of people, when they're talking about wishing they still did hymns, they're talking about a moment, a spiritual snapshot, spiritual muscle memory that they have connected to a particular style. Yeah. And so there's that familiarity that people desire, um, and it can sometimes make them reject the new. Um, and, of course, like you said, there are the people who like, oh, only want new. I, I, I was having a conversation with a worship leader recently um, whose pastor basically told him, there's no need for you to repeat a song over a six-month period. Like, Why? there's enough songs out there that you should be cycling in new things every single time. And I'm like... Your people will never have a chance to actually get a hold of anything. Or connect with it. Right, yeah. right. And so, again, it's one of those things where either one of them could be overdone. You know, if, if you stay dead and dry and in a particular style, you're going to be dead and dry. But if you're always pushing the new, there's going to be no foundation. There's going to be no home, yeah. essentially, to come back to um, musically. So that's, again, this, this whole principle of the new versus the familiar is kind of universal. I mean, it kind of pertains to everything. I mean... We, we get familiar with cars, and we like them, and we get nostalgic about them, and eventually we get rid of it and get something brand new, and it's exciting because we have a new thing, and it has that smell, and it has that feel of like, oh, I'm learning all the new things, but then you go and you try to turn on the windshield wipers, and you just hit your brights on, or you go to turn on the radio, and you realize, oh, wait, no, that's the Nope, I'm, I'm stopping buying cars right before they do that engine shut-off thing. Which one is the that? the engine shuts off when you get to a stoplight. Oh, Yeah. The new cars where you pull up and you get to a stoplight and the engine shuts off and then it restarts as you go. If my car does that on the test drive, nope, not my yep. car. Yep. And if it becomes mandatory, I'm just driving everything before 2009 and that's it. Totally. I, I can't have it. Yeah. I know you can shut it off with a button every time that you get in, but I don't want to be told. Yeah. I just don't want to be told <laughs> that my car has to shut off at every stoplight. Oh, that's my stupid. goodness. I, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. And it's frustrating to hear it shut off. <laughs> like, I would even rather drive a Tesla where it never starts. Essentially. <laughs> At least in the, in the auditory sense. Right. It doesn't you never, it never You never get the engine feel. It's better than, like, pulling up and that engine feel going away and yes. then returning to me suddenly. I uh, don't like it. I could be with you on that. that that's disconcerting. I, I, I also don't like my car braking for me. Yeah, that one freaks me out. I was thinking, <laughs> I I'm, I'm like, how does it know the difference if I'm going, if there's something laying in the roadway or if there's an overpass with a really dark shadow? Yeah. What's the difference? I had, I had a, I, I saw something do it's that. It's going to lock me up at 75. Just well, and I saw something do that recently 
where they were showing that as a tester, like where it was going to stop automatically because something got in it. And I thought to myself, what if you're trying to like back out of a place and in that scenario, like there's a shadow or there's a leaf or there's something and it will not let you move and you literally get stuck there with your car because you can't make the thing move, but it's not something you can hit. But it will just For instance, it keeps like, stopping like every the time. The big ball at Target. Yeah. Like if you're backing up towards it, there's an obstacle. Yeah. Or a cone. Yeah. So I did. I kind of ran this really goofy scenario in my head of somebody like it was kind of like a Mr. Bean sketch in my head, essentially, <laughs> of somebody trying to back a car out of a spot where they were like kind of sandwiched in, but there was something that was preventing them that had the automatic stop, and so it just would not let them do it, and it was just this herky jerky ridiculous thing. I don't know. It was totally random, but there you go. That all comes from us not having new cars. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We're scared of the new. Yeah. Not scared of the new, but <laughs> I am getting sad because my, my 2009 element is starting to make noises and have shakes and things that... It wouldn't be sad if I'd bought a used car because you expect those things. There are quirks. There are warts and bumps and bruises. That's just the reality of a used car. But I brought my car, bought my car brand new. I'm the only owner. And the fact that I've put enough into and enough on in terms of miles that I'm like, oh, she's starting to feel her age a little bit. It makes me sad. <laughs> it makes it me very sad. The nostalgia in me and that idea of I'm going to have to get rid of this car at some point and you know, I started dating my wife in this car, and this is the car that we drove away from our wedding in. Like, I start getting into all these memories of, of things that, uh, that have that have happened and that have been connected to this. And particular I'm gonna vehicle. sell it for two and a half thousand dollars at at most at at the absolute most. Although I do have the luck of the fact that my car is no longer made right by Honda, um, and so some people people are looking, people for, are looking it. for it. So that's helpful. But yeah, there's there's. Stupid nostalgic things that I get really, I get really attached to some things like that that shouldn't. It's just ridiculous. So next week we really wanted to show you guys our new setup yes. for our podcast because we're super excited about our booms and our new mics and we look professional in here and you we guys do. have never saw it. So yes. what we would like to do is do a Facebook Live, and so you head on over to facebook.com slash the things we say podcast. Yes. Like the longest name ever, but you can find us there. And next Sunday night, we plan on being live right around 8.30 ish. Yep. We'll probably be usually when we get started. Yep. Um, somewhere in that time frame. So 8.30 ish Facebook live, uh, bring your questions or comments or yeah. anything. This year, we have had more people listen to us than any year previous. We started this at the end of 2017, ran most of the way through 2018 and all of 2019 so far. Yep. And so we've had a lot of, we have a lot of content out there. I'm sure you guys have questions. I'm sure you have comments that you'd like to uh, add to it. And yeah. if you just want us to talk about something that we haven't hit on yet. Totally. And it's your pet subject. Go ahead and throw it out there on Facebook Live. We're going to open just, ourselves up to it. And just so you know, too, if it, even if you ask a question that we've answered before, we'll refer to the fact that we've answered it before, but we'll answer it again. Right. Because our answer may have changed. You know? Oh, you yeah. Never, you never know with, with time and how things go with that. So, yeah. But, yeah, we're excited about that. It's been a while since we've done one, and uh, it's going to be fun for sure. So what is that date? Today is the 27th. So it'll be the 27th, I believe. Yeah, yeah 27th. October 27th, 8.30. So if you're listening to this two weeks later, you're bad. Yes. Uh, not our fault. Yeah. We but you can still you. listen to the audio of whatever happens. Yeah. So We'll record it all and you get a chance. Yeah. But try to get on early because it's always tough when we're sitting here trying to make something up 
until people log on and start asking us questions. I'll bring a few things because as that's we right. learn, I like to plan ahead. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to us. Uh, thanks for putting up with my, my fresh parent rambling and ranting. Uh, this has been great. I've had an amazing time just being able to sit across the table from Sheldon, not holding his hands. Sorry nope, to put we that. We haven't touched hands Haven't once. touched at all, mm. but it's good. It's good to be here. Good to be back. And I'm looking forward to next week. So uh, we'll see you then and uh, have a great week. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.